God cast his vote, Satan cast his, and man cast the deciding ballot. You see, everything hinges upon you. It's about what you decide. It's about when you believe and if you're ready. God can't save you until you're ready to save yourself. Well, that's the popular teaching among many evangelical Christians today. But are God's hands really tied? Is his grace really resistible? Stay tuned tonight as we talk about the eye in tulip, irresistible grace. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Well, we want to thank you once again for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Joining us for tonight's discussion, as usual, is Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario United Reformed Church and Reverend Moses Jambazian from Pasadena United Reformed Church. And we're ready to take up the next letter in TULIP, I, Irresistible Grace. We've been covering total depravity for several shows, unconditional election, and then uh, a number of shows not only setting forth the positive side of limited atonement, but a number of objections. And we come to the I, Irresistible Grace. We use that kind of language, first of all. What do we mean by irresistible grace? It's probably one of the uh, less talked about ones in the Calvinistic acronym. This is over in contrast to the idea that God's grace, the gospel offer, is a resistible offer that most people would actually have as their basic theology. Because the way it's normally taught is here's an offer being made, a grab bag, and as long as you reach in and take it, you will get the prize, you will get the gift. But if you fail to do that, obviously Christ's death will not be for you. And so it's this idea that God does not impose himself. God cannot force you to be saved. As I've actually been told, like, God is a gentleman. He will not basically impose himself on you. And so that's the idea of resistible grace. How about this one? God stands at the door of your heart knocking, but he doesn't come in. He's just gently knocking. Yeah, you mentioned the word gift, Moses, earlier. People quote Ephesians 2.8. You know, you're saved by grace through faith, and that is a gift of God. Um, gift. You know, if somebody gives you a gift, they say, it just isn't automatically yours when they give it to you. You have to receive it. I mean, if somebody walks up and gives you a package, you can throw it in the trash or you can leave it on the street and never pick it up in the first place. And so don't you see salvation is the same way. You've got to cast the deciding vote. You've got to do your part. I've never heard of that. that that's crazy. You're saying that they would... Anybody out there... there, there are, I'm tongue-tied because it's so ridiculous. People out there actually believe that it's a grace gift just like a Christmas present and you can or a birthday present or whatever, shower gift, and you can just receive it, but you don't have to? Where would that notion even come in? Well, the answer to your question is yes, people do believe that, and that's exactly what they're taught. But the notion comes from the passages in Scripture that talk about, you know, whosoever will believe will be saved. And so when people read the passages in the Bible that say, you know, if you believe you will be saved, uh, people get called to put their faith and trust in Christ. They see that people at that point have two options. Either they believe, receive Christ and are saved, or they reject him out of unbelief and are damned. And they infer from that 
that God is making the same kind of offer of salvation to everybody. He has the saving grace on everybody's soul in the same way. And then they have to do their part. That's the understanding that lies behind this, you know, interpretation of a gift. It's basically all the passages that are dealing with the uh, preaching of the word where you are preaching to a general audience. And so they say, well, this is not only the preaching, it's telling you all the theology of God. And therefore, by implication, we know, you know, I stand at the door and knock. That must be referring to individual salvation, of the gospel, even though that's not the context of the verse. And so when it speaks of people being called to repent and believe, well, repentance is an action of man. And therefore, it must be that he has the option of accepting or rejecting a gift. Right. And so that's the logic behind it. Ah uh, implies can. I mean, that, that's the basic working presupposition of people who take this position. I've, I've heard that before. Well, it doesn't make any sense that God would uh, make this demand or he would give this offer, how, whichever way you look at it, in the, the free uh, proclamation of the gospel, free offer of the gospel. So if, if God's saying come, if God says believe, then man must have uh, that that ability to respond to that. But, it, you know, if you take that position, there's a number of uh, assumptions implied in that. For instance, uh, what do you do about sin? I mean, this whole issue of irresistible grace, it seems to me, has to be understood in the context of even some of the other things we've spoken of. Number one, tulip, or a tea and tulip, total depravity. How, what, what kind of assumption would a person make here who believes in resistible grace about sin? Well, certainly his own ability to overcome his sin of unbelief and his sin of rebellion. Because in this case, it's that God is not overcoming it for him. He's not changing the man's nature, but rather all people in their current state are offered something. And this man who accepts is able to overcome unbelief, is able to overcome his rebellion and his hatred of God. And is able to say, yes, I recognize that God is the true God who has the right to judge me. And I wish to accept the gift he is offering. And so it's a very arrogant doctrine. Right. Or there are those who say, well, I believe in total depravity. I believe that by nature man has unbelief that he can't overcome. But God has some kind of prevenient grace. You know, he goes to everybody in the fallen human race and gives them enough grace to get them to a certain level where now they can choose to receive the full salvific grace of Christ and and accept him into their heart and that sort of thing. But it, it does take us away from the biblical doctrine of total depravity. That's for sure. That's the first thing we have to say. I think that's one of the important things that you've got to reconcile tonight in your own mind. If you hold to this position of resistible grace, and yet at the same time, you, you believe those passages of Scripture that are so clear that there is no one that pleases God. There is no one who understands that whole litany of texts in Romans 3 or Ephesians 2, which talks about man being dead in his sins. I, I know many of you believe those texts, but you have now got to think about that in light of God's grace and, and the gospel offer. Can a dead person really do anything with regard to his salvation? Can he reach out for it? And can he den or on the other, can he deny it if he's dead? Well, listen, I think what people are curious to know is what do we believe about the whosoever will passages? I mean, the Bible says whosoever will shall be saved or repent and believe and you shall be saved. What do we believe? Do we believe people can say yes and people can say no? What is the point there? After the break, we're going to come back and deal with those pass those whosoever will passages and see how they fit with this uh, doctrine of irresistible grace. Stick stay tuned with us after the break. You're listening to Sinners and Saints on 99.5 FM KKLA. Hi, this is Reverend John Sautel, pastor of Congregational Life and Outreach at First United Reformed Church of Chino. 
We are a Protestant, Bible-based, family-oriented church committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are located just off the 60 Freeway at Mountain Avenue in Chino. We worship at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. every Sunday. If you'd like more information about our church, give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. Do you live in the Chino Hills or Diamond Bar area? Well, if you do, I want to extend a very special invitation to you to come join us to study the Word of God. On Tuesday evenings at 7.30 at Chino Hills High School, we're currently studying through the Book of Romans. If you'd like to join us, just give me a call at 909-319-3479. That's 909-319-3479. Or for more information, check us out at allsaintsreform.org. That's allsaintsreform.org. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalustian. I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. Okay, we're back here after the break, and one of the things that we promised was that we were going to get into trying to reconcile this apparent tension between the whosoever will passages of the free offer of the gospel and the uh, the idea of irresistible grace. But before we get into that, I just want to make uh, uh, take a moment here to provide a working definition of what irresistible grace is, and I'm reading here from a nice little book that summarizes uh, the Calvinistic uh, tulip. It's called The Five Points of Calvinism by David N. Steele and Curtis C. Thomas. But he summarizes irresistible grace on page 18 as follows. The Spirit graciously causes the elect sinner to cooperate, to believe, repent, to come freely and willingly to Christ by God's grace. So in a nutshell there, he kind of covers the range of things that have to be done in order for a sinner to be able to respond to the free offer of the gospel. So that's what we mean in a general way. We talk about irresistible grace. But what about this issue then? You have these passages which, which are clear and we don't want to deny them. And we believe they can be fully reconciled with this view of irresistible grace. But what do we do with it? Whosoever will. Well, I mean, it's important for us first to acknowledge we agree with everybody that when the Bible says, you know, repent and believe, that if you respond in true faith to that call, you will be saved. And if you reject that call to faith out of unbelief, you will be damned. There's no argument about that. We agree that when people, are, when people hear the preaching of the gospel, the offer of salvation is presented to them, and they either accept it or they reject it, and the consequences of that accepting or rejecting will be heaven or hell. We agree with that. I just want you to know that up front. Now, the problem that a lot of people have is that they don't make the right distinctions. What you have in the preaching of the word is what we call the external call, which goes out indiscriminately to everyone. But there is nonetheless a work of the Spirit. God wills some things to be done, and that's the internal call of the Spirit. And the internal call is what we are speaking of as being irresistible. That which God wills, he will accomplish. And what God wills is that he will have for himself a people whom he has before the foundation of the world elected. We've already covered that in previous shows. And now he is applying the finished work of Christ to them through the spirit of Christ. And what he is doing is, as he prophesies in many places, 
I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will make you alive who were dead. And that's what's happening. And that cannot be resisted because it is the work of the creator. This is a very important distinction here that you're bringing up. The difference between external call and internal call. Because we want to make it very clear that that external call will be rejected and is rejected by sinners uh, very often. I mean, you have all kinds of examples in scripture as well. I mean, uh, Stephen's speech, you know, in Acts chapter 7, he says the Jews are stiff-necked and stubborn in heart. Acts thirteen forty-six, where Paul and, and uh, stands up in the synagogue and proclaims the gospel. And at the end of it, it's clear that, that Jews and many God-fearing Greeks turned away. They didn't believe the message. So you have all kinds of examples of that external call being rejected. But that's not the same thing as the internal call. And Adam, I think you want to get at this. Yeah, moment. we're not making up this distinction. Jesus said it in a very simple way so that we could understand. Right. He said... Many are called, but few are chosen. And he's talking about two kinds of calls there. Many are called in the outward sense. Uh, many are called to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but few are chosen. That is to say, there are few who, along with the outward call, receive the regenerating work of the Spirit so that they hear not only the outward preaching, but they believe it in their heart. They put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're saved. Many are called, few are chosen. External call and internal call. And you cannot resist the internal call. Okay, that's good. We got uh, some texts there which support the idea that there is this external call. But are there any texts in Scripture we can point to to support the idea that there is an internal call which is beyond just the mere external proclamation of the gospel? Well, John, you quoted just briefly from the end of Acts 13. I just want to mention it real quick. Paul and Barnabas are going around preaching. It says in verse 44, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. And what word of God are they hearing? They're hearing the proclamation of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, verse 48 says, Out of all these people listening, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So there you have it. Paul and Barnabas are preaching, believe the gospel and be saved. And does everybody respond? No, it's only those who what? Who had been appointed to eternal life. That means the Spirit is at work in their heart, causing them to understand, open their eyes, their minds, their hearts, and receive the gospel. That's irresistible for those who had been appointed to do so that day. Yeah. And now what's not spelled out in so many words there, Paul spells out explicitly in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 30, where he connects predestination to calling in this uh, golden chain of salvation. He says in Romans eight thirty, and these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he justified. Now, you cannot take that as mere external call. Otherwise, that verse would say that God predestined everybody. And not only would it say that God predestined everybody, so he calls everybody, but the next step that Paul takes, he says, and those whom he called, he justified. Then you would also have to say, if this text is referring to external call, that God calls everybody through the word and God justifies absolutely everybody who hears the word. And then one step further, it says he completes the whole thought here. Those whom he justifies, he also glorifies. Well, that's impossible because we know from experience, but also from Scripture, that not everyone who hears the external call receives eternal life or believes. So Paul clearly here is making a distinction between an external call and an internal call. And even Jesus himself, when he's explaining his work, he basically says 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus isn't saying, oh, all of you who are here now listening to me in this Galilean seaside are going to believe. Rather, those who are actually drawn by the Father. And unfortunately, the English word drawn, I don't think is sufficient there. Yeah, you know, most you'll hear this all the time. Well, yeah, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But draws means kind of coaxes me lovingly or you know yeah. god reaches out to sinner and kind of woos doesn't him. that mean god's enticing and sort of like yeah a, god gently is reaching to try and draw you in that we're draw all you have is an english bible i suppose that might be a valid interpretation to come up with but if you actually go to the scriptures as they were given in greek it's an entirely different thing the word used there for draw is the same word later used for drag in john 21 the fishermen dragged in the nets with the fish and that is not a wooing type of a thing that is actually forcibly getting these fish removed from the water in the nets the internal call is about god through the holy spirit quickening the heart of man giving him a new heart giving him eyes to see and faith to believe that's the irresistible call that is the internal call that's irresistible grace we're going to take on some more issues uh, we come back after the break reformation radio theology with an edge come to worship god at the pasadena united reformed church worship him in spirit and in truth hear the gospel faithfully preached rejoice in the god of your salvation Come and join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. We are located at 226 West Colorado in Arcadia off the Santa Anita exit of the 210 freeway. Call us at 866-99-UNITED or visit us at urcsocal.org. Hi, this is Pastor Bureau of Grace Evangelical Church in Torrance. We are a new Reformed church serving all of South Bay. As a member of the United Reformed Churches of North America, Grace Evangelical Church emphasizes the preaching of the gospel, weekly administration of the Lord's Supper, catechism of our children, and emphasis on the singing of the Psalms, all in a family-friendly atmosphere. Come, worship with us. You can reach us at area code 310-782-7019. As we come into the final segment here, I want to read from the Canons of Dort, uh, Article 3-4, which, by the way, is our confessional standard. And if you'd like uh, to get one of these, just give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. We'd be more than happy to send uh, one of these out to you for free. So call us at 866-99-UNITED. Article 3, uh, Chapter 3, Article 10 says... But that others who are called by the gospel obey the call and are converted is not to be ascribed to the proper exercise of free will, but it must be wholly ascribed to God, who, as he has chosen his own from eternity past, so he calls them effectually in time, confers on them faith and repentance, and rescues them from the power of darkness. That's irresistible grace. And when you think about it that way, it's so hard to imagine as you now take that idea and you look to Scripture and the testimonies of dramatic conversions in Scripture, it's hard to imagine that you could turn that on its head and turn uh, some of those conversion stories into uh, purely an act of man's will to save himself. Yeah, here's the greatest example of this, I think, in the Scripture. I'm thinking of Acts 9. You have Saul... It says, who's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord Jesus. He goes to the high priest and asks from him uh, to get letters from him to take to the synagogues of Damascus 
so that if he found any were on the way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, that is, to find the Christians and root them out. And as Saul journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, Arise, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do next. And you know the rest of the story. Paul goes on. He receives a confirmation that this was the Lord speaking to him. He goes into study, and he becomes the preeminent apostle to the Gentile church. And are you telling me that Paul could have stood up after he got knocked down and blinded and said, you know what? I resist the call. Well, you can say one thing. You can say that, okay, this one was a unique case because nobody is really reached by God that same way. None of us are getting knocked out of our cars by a blinding light. Or you can just say, no, look at the reality of it. I know a lot of people, we read about these stories of these Christian heroes. They have a gun put to their head. They're told, reject Christ, spit on his picture, and we will let you live. And they say, no, I would rather die. And a trigger is pulled and they die. So, yes, you can resist even at the point of the threat of death. Well, first of all, you know, that first response, the idea that, well, this happened to the Apostle Paul, but it doesn't happen to everybody. This was a unique case. That's ridiculous because the same people that make that objection are always the people that are crying about God has to give everybody their free will. And God will never violate free will. Otherwise, he couldn't be God. Well, here, at least, if you gave that objection, you would have to acknowledge that he took Paul's will, and he changed it. The second thing is... But Adam, wait a second. How, how do you know you just didn't miss what's behind the scenes here? Is that God cast his ballot and Satan cast his, and now Paul decides after he gets knocked off, well, you know what? Hey, I'm going to cast mine in for God. This, here's the answer to that. It's verse 15. The Lord says to Ananias, Go, for this man, in spite of what you know him to be, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, Jesus is not open to this idea that, well, maybe let's see if Paul is going to reject me or if, accept me. Uh, he says, no, I have chosen him to be the preacher to the Gentiles, and I will show him what he must suffer for my sake. This is not Jesus pleading with him, coaxing him to go be the preeminent apostle. I have chosen him to do so. I've planned it all along. I knocked him down on the road. Ananias, you do your job. Confirm his calling so he'll get sent out. That's it. There's no question about it. He can't resist it. On a long-term thing also, you have to ask yourself, if this is necessary, this idea of free will is absolutely necessary for the definition of man, what do you do with the passage where Jesus says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, a point at which free will will be taken away and forcibly you will be made to confess Christ or the fact that you will be confirmed infallibly in heaven, never to fall again. Do you cease being man? Do you cease being human at that point? You have to deal with the fact that Free will, as understood commonly, is not of the necessary definition or essence of man. Well, I've got a biblical example of a person who is fully human, and it does appear from the text of Scripture that God sovereignly opened her heart, and that's Lydia. It says, uh, as the word was being preached, she was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Notice here that the opening of the heart preceded the responding. And that's just the opposite of the Arminian scheme where the man responds. And then God, after having been met halfway by man, then confers the saving, renewing, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. 
Yeah, there's another one. Jesus goes to the disciples in the boat. They've been fishing all night. They can't catch anything. He says, let down the nets. They say, well, all right, but we're not going to catch anything. They let down the nets. He's filled the whole lake with fish when there were none. Peter sees it. He falls down at Jesus' knees. He says, depart from me. I am a sinful man. Everybody's astonished. And Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And they forsook all and followed him. Now, Jesus didn't say, okay, now here's your big chance. Simon, this is the moment of decision for you. You better choose to believe and follow me. He said, no, I did this miracle. I sought you out. You're a fisherman. I found you. And from now on, you will catch men. It's an irresistible call. God's grace is not resistible when he calls internally. Those who he has chosen from eternity past in Christ, he calls effectually. He confers upon them faith. He gives them repentance. He rescues them from the power of darkness, and he translates them into the kingdom of his own son. That's irresistible grace. We want to thank you for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Stay tuned next week as we continue on in our series in Tulip. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.